0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Chase the Summit podcast. I'm your host, Dave. Today, we've got a really exciting episode for you. I've got a guest. It is Rob Terhorst, or Rob Terhorst. He tried to teach me how to say his name, but I'm I'm too American for it. (laughs) Rob is a actual scientist, a doctor, a PhD, uh, who joins me from the Netherlands. And he is also known as the Quantified Scientist on YouTube. You can find him at robterhorst.com is his website. Check him out on Instagram at The Quantified Scientist and The Quantified Scientist on YouTube. He covers a lot of content on wearable and fitness technology, but really hones in on wellness tracking and in particular, sleep tracking. This guy has gotten over 130 uh, MRIs of his brain. He does it literally to quantify his own performance, like what's going on with his body and just a fascinating guy with uh uh, he just knows what he's talking about so this is a really cool conversation i had with him and i'm glad that we got in touch because i'm happy to call this guy uh, a new friend of mine and somebody to bounce ideas off of and you know someone else that's in the youtube space that uh is pretty cool so I hope you enjoy this conversation between me and Rob. Uh, before we get into that, I just wanted to share that you're probably listening to the audio only version of this, but I am going to be uploading the video version of this conversation to my Patreon group, which you can find in the show notes of this podcast and on YouTube in the YouTube members feed. So, only for members and Patreon members, uh, if you wanna see the audio or the video version, but you can enjoy the audio version here. So that's what we're going to do today. Okay, I'm going to stop jib-jabbing now and let you get into the conversation that you got here for with Rob Terhorst, the quantified scientist. Hope you enjoy. Okay, so formal start. Uh, thanks for joining everybody. Uh, today we've got Rob Terhorst. Am I pronouncing that right, Rob?
1: Well, in Dutch we would say Rob Terhorst, but oh. you're close enough.
0: Oh, let me try that. Rob Terhorst, did I get that? <laughs>
1: Rob Terhorst. Yeah, you're pretty close.
0: <laughs> All right, so Rob is a fellow YouTuber. Uh, he's been doing really well on the platform, and just crossed 100,000 subscribers. So congratulations on that. That's amazing uh, territory to join the ranks Thanks. of. Did you Did you get your uh, plaque in the mail yet, or or do you still have to do that? Yeah, yeah,
1: you should see it uh, here. Oh man, In the background. I'm s- here somewhere.
0: I'm, s- I'm so jealous. I don't know if
1: you, like on my on my left.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so jealous. I, I You know, I'm not going to say I'm obsessed about it, but, you know, that's a major milestone for people. So congratulations on that. It's pretty awesome. Um, Rob Thanks. joins us from... Where, yeah, where are it's you, cool to have. Where are you from, Rob? Where are you uh, joining me from?
1: So I'm originally Dutch, but I'm now living in Vienna, Austria.
0: Awesome. So Rob and I are currently six hours in time apart. It's uh, 10 a.m. for me here in the USA on the East Coast and uh, around 4 p.m. for him. So it's it was a little bit of a yeah. struggle getting this together, but we got it. Technical difficulties aside, we did it. Uh, so Rob's YouTube channel is called The Quantified Scientist, uh, where he really dives crazy deep on uh, all things related to fitness tech, uh, sleep tracking, wearables and the like in such a detailed and like deep capacity that I can't even wrap my head around for the most part. And uh, you know, as as somebody who also does the YouTube thing and and you know has the devices and does all the testing, the level you take it to, dude, is is totally wild for me to watch. So uh well done with that. And it's no no surprise that you've got quite a following now on YouTube. So I, I'm Thanks. just curious. Yeah
1: aren't... it's very it's very specialized what I do I guess so it's not for everyone but if if they're interested in in super detailed testing then yes.
0: Yeah, I mean from from my perspective as a viewer, you know I watch your channel a lot. Um it's like you you see like my channel or like Raymaker or all the all the other guys like Desfit and you watch them and we kind of just kind of glaze through sleep tracking because it's such a hard thing to quantify huh see what i did there it's such a hard thing to uh-huh. <laughs> um to to really to test in in detail and, and i i don't kid my audience and say i know exactly what this is doing i know the aura ring such a great sleep tracking all i can say is like i went to bed at this time and i woke up at this time and everything that happened in between may or may be accurate but when we, when i watch your channel it's really insightful to see like an actual scientist look at this stuff in such a different capacity then it's pretty, pretty refreshing from like going through all the channels and then coming across this and seeing you with this crazy headgear on for the listeners. He puts this like contraption on his head. I'll let him explain what it is. And uh, it like has cameras in it and it like watches his eyes move and stuff. And that's how it correlates what's going on with his sleep. Could you explain to the listener what what exactly is going on there?
1: Yeah. So, well, when you're talking about sleep tracking, I think it's important to, to clarify what that is. So there's different forms of sleep tracking. The simplest is what you already alluded to is saying, when did you wake up? When did you go to bed? And that's like the simplest form of sleep tracking in a way. Um, but something that a lot of these devices try to do nowadays is also track your sleep stages. And one of the simplest forms of these sleep stages is deep sleep, REM sleep, light sleep. And then you could say awake is also a sleep stage. Um, And normally as scientists, when we want to track that, you need to track brainwaves of people because these are in a way, the closest to, to being able to, to measure what's actually going on in your head. But of course, a band on your wrist cannot track your your, your brainwaves. So um, they use other data like movement and heart rate to try and approximate this. And the way I test this is um, by using something that is close to a scientific gold standard, but not the exact scientific gold standard. So the, the gold standard would be something called polysomnography, which basically <laughs> means measuring different things uh, with electrodes um, So you measure your brain waves with EEG so that's the most important part but you also measure your eye movement with EOG which is your for REM sleep is rapid eye movement, so your eye start moving so that's what you need that for. you measure EMG which is your muscle movements um, so you measure all and your ECG which is your cardiac uh, or your, your heart rate. Um, and the simplest a simpler form I use for this is EEG. Combined with an infrared camera, I have above my uh, above my bed. So with EEG, um, you mainly measure your brain waves, but the, the trackers that I use can also measure your um, eye movements. Um, and eye movements are really important for REM sleep. So REM sleep is the, the stage where you have your dreams, and that's when your eyes go back and like left to right, mostly uh, quite fast. Um, and that's what you can then uh, use to detect the actual REM sleep. Um, during the night so um i actually so i don't use the camera to track my eye movements because my eyes are usually closed but the the camera i mainly use as a secondary check to make sure when i was awake and when i was asleep um and i use the eeg and then also this eye movement um, either automatically with an algorithm or manually by going through each each 30 second part of the night and manually checking (laughs) what sleep stage i was in um, so I have these headbands uh, that have all these electrodes on my head. Um, yeah. Sorry, so, maybe
0: that was very detailed. No, but that's what no, it is. no, no, that's good. It's very fascinating. I'm also curious, like, is there a point where you're sitting there watching a camera of yourself sleeping where you're like, what the hell am I doing right now?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I I don't do it for every every night anymore. In the beginning, I did it for every night and it's quite exhausting. But now I have a camera. Which I should reinstall now that I have a new network. But, and that actually sort of, that tracks basic movements already for me. So I don't need to track every, move, every part of the night anymore, but it already highlights the parts that are most likely to have uh, movement. And then I can, and what I basically do is try and check when the EEG device said I was awake. Can I see that I was also moving, or, or could it be an awake moment with less movement? It's sort of a, a secondary check. It's less important, but it's, it's good to check when I'm in doubt if I was actually, uh, like, physically out of bed, for instance.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm just curious, though, like, this is such a niche area of expertise to be in, particularly, so you're a YouTuber that analyzes sleep for the most part, but you've dived into, like, more aspects of the devices. I've watched your GPS accuracy you're doing now. You're doing the heart rate performance and things like that with your uh, linear graphs, which is really cool. Um, But I'm just curious, like, I know you've got a uh, scientific education and background. Could you share a little about like what you did in school and how you got to where you are now? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'll try to really briefly summarize. <laughs> so um, I did my PhD in bioinformatics, um, which is basically studying biology using the computer. So data analysis on uh, biological data and specifically my field is immunology so the part of your uh, body like the white blood cells to put it really simply and those are for instance important in uh, recognizing and fighting COVID-19 and specifically there I looked at the, the relationship between different factors of the human body and how they affect your immune system like how is the immune system different between men and women or um, people living with HIV? Um, how, wh- why, even though they're treated, do they still have a bigger risk of uh, cardiac disease and how is that related to the immune system? Mm. Uh, and currently I'm doing my postdoctoral research. So after you get your doctor's degree, not non-medical doctor's degree, but scientific doctor's degree, any research after that is basically postdoctoral. I'm focusing on, on something called epigenetics, which is the, the folding of the DNA. Um, but as a side project for about four years now, I've been studying myself. So quantifying myself um, over time to see what changes in a very scientific way. So every week I get a brain MRI. Um, that's also why I started these sleep EEGs originally, because I wanted to track my own sleep, see how these, how these sleep patterns then um, correlate to brain activity and brain structure. And I actually started a YouTube channel at some point also because I was not finding the resources I needed online to determine which, which of the trackers I should buy to track everything in my life. <laughs> and as sort of a side project, that got a bit out of hand. Now I'm making the videos that I was looking for uh, a while back. Uh, so I work with people specializing in sleep. I work with people specializing in the brain as one of my, basically my main side project for the last four years or so. So I've gotten 150 or 60 brain MRIs so far over the last year every what? week tuesday morning 8 a.m i go into mri and i get my brain scanned
0: what the and hell i used to
1: get weekly <laughs> polysomnographies but now i get daily uh, eeg measurements
0: so you've had is there any risk of like brain cancer from getting that many mris
1: <laughs> no so mri is purely magnetism so there's there's no harmful radiation there um, yeah. i think the even the main danger would be would be hearing damage because if you don't wear earplugs, the thing is quite loud. But oh, yeah. um, with earplugs, it's fine.
0: Yeah, I've had a couple of MRIs, and uh, I actually used to work in a machine shop where we, you know, cut metal. And you know how that the number one question for MRIs mm-hmm. is, uh, have you ever had metal in your hair or stuck in your skin or anything? And I yeah, remember yeah, yeah. when they stuck me in there the first time, I was like, oh my God, something's going to get ripped out of my head. And <laughs> I was good, but it was that. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I can't
1: believe you I had mean, that. I mean, it's not that bad.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I can't believe you had that many because that experience, just doing it like once or twice was terrifying to me, being claustrophobic and stuck in that tube. And you, you've you done it 150 some odd times. So uh, congrats, I think.
1: Now, nah, for me, the main <laughs> danger is uh, is falling asleep, which I'm not supposed to. Um, so I mostly have focus on not falling asleep.
0: Yeah. Right. Cause you're trying to look for, Because
1: you're in in there for like 40 minutes or so.
0: Oh, wow. That is wild. So I'm just curious, like, so even before this, even before you went to school and you've, you're now you're studying for postdoctoral before your PhD, before any of it, what got you so interested in analyzing these, this kind of data? Because like, what I found really interesting what you, about what you just said is that you started your YouTube channel because you couldn't find the answers on YouTube that you're looking for. And I, one blurb yeah. I've read in the past about YouTube and f- for people who are trying to get into it is to choose a passion, essentially to make the videos that you wanna see. And that's exactly what you do, did. And I think that's why your channel is being it has become so successful because you're actually making the stuff you're looking for, right? So you've got this yeah, 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 you've got this background and passion about making the stuff you want to see. But yeah, that's kind of a tangent. Um, but before all this, before PhD, before school, you know, your are graduated grade school or, or high school, what made you think, man, I really need to know absolutely everything about sleep data and in in a, in, you know, what's going on in my brain? I mean,
1: I really so I started this project really at the, in the middle of my PhD. So before that I was doing a lot of sports and but I just had my one device that I used to track it. I didn't do any re- research. It was just a device that that some friend recommended. Um, so the the passion for data analysis was always there but that was very much professional. So during my master's, during my PhD, this was really just what I was doing as a job on on biomedical data. Um, but it didn't really start until, until my PhD uh, and the middle of my PhD, um, that I really started measuring these things about myself. And it was, it was part, partly, um, just because I was interested in what I could find out about myself. Um, partly it was because when I tried to explain my job to my parents, it was always tricky because I had to explain what is epigenetics, what is genetics. So I tried (laughs) to find some simple data that I could analyze. Um, and partly it's just, I want to see what can we learn about, humans in general when when doing this longitudinal uh, tracking sure and over time it's also included now trying to to optimize some things in my life a bit more the the, the main thing <laughs> i've actually learned from from all this is that i need to get more sleep and also better quality sleep by not <laughs> for instance, not eating uh not eating meals before uh before bed because i can really see that in my data that 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 messes with my heart rate, for instance.
0: yeah, absolutely. I think one of the most am- amazing things that I ran into when I started tracking in my own layman's terms you know with the Orang ring and um, the garments and stuff was the impact of alcohol like one beer it will yeah. it, it totally trashes your HRV and your 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 sleep and everything for the next day it, and it's it could be as simple as one glass of wine can really just throw everything out the door for the next day. And it's funny to see that, like, actually the actual data. Because when you're when you when you're not watching it, you have a glass of wine or whatever, you may feel a little groggy the next day, but not totally trashed. The Garmin and the Whoop the Whoop Band and the Aura, on the other hand, are like, dude, you're in trouble. So I I always find that data really interesting.
1: Yeah, I think alcohol is really also one of the most recognizable and reproducible ways people see that they they're messing with their sleep. I don't think there's anything wrong with having an occasional glass of wine or even getting hammered, maybe occasionally (laughs) when you're younger or whatever, like it's part, it's part of the experience, I guess. But I mean, the older I get, the more mindful I am of when I do it. And I think there's some famous rock star who who said that at some point he started planning his hangovers two weeks in advance. And I think that's, (laughs) that's one way to think about it. As long as you plan it, you know, there's nothing to do the next day. You you can afford yourself a late night with some, some alcohol. uh, Right. I yeah, don't I go mean, crazy anymore
0: nowadays but yeah, yeah. I mean I, I indulge occasionally myself but the big thing for me is like is it worth it because the next day I have to wake up and take care of four kids so it's like you know like it's a yeah you can have fun tonight but you know what's coming the next day when you when you open your eyes and all your kids are asking for breakfast you know <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, like I said, if you plan it two weeks in advance and you know, the kids will be at the grandparents or so, then right. <laughs> then you, you have the ni- the morning to yourself. Yeah. That's how you
0: get it done. <laughs> um, so moving on to some of the more, you know, specifics to devices. I've no, I know you've had your hands on like the, the aura ring, the whoop band. I actually just watched your aura ring, uh, two verse three video. I think yesterday I watched that solid video, by the way. Um, I'm curious if there's Thanks. one, one like star standout device and you probably get this in the comments all the time. Like, Hey Rob, what should yeah. I buy? You know what I mean? And usually for me, like for, a yeah, GP- yeah, yeah. from a GPS watch perspective, when people ask that, I'm like, first of all, what's your budget? What do you want to track? How important is this? Or what are you doing? Do you need navigation? Blah, blah, blah. But for when you're dealing with purely the wellness and sleep data and like just daily life metrics. Is there one rock star that you've tested so far that's like your number one go-to recommendation? We'll be back after a quick break. My name is Tom Buck and this is The Enthusiasm Project. Join me each week for deep dives, exploring the world of what
1: it means to be an independent creator on YouTube, starting your own creative business and keeping a positive,
0: enthusiastic mindset along the way. New episodes of The Enthusiasm Project are available every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Yeah, there is. I should, of course, note that with any testing we all do, and I think that's a big limitation for for any of us. It's it's limited to to us, right? Because we're the most willing test subject. Yeah. Um, so it's tested on me, uh, a thirty odd uh, white dude. Um, <laughs> like, if you're if you're uh, if you're an African American woman, it might behave completely differently on you. So that's really tricky to say because skin color makes a difference, um, blood flow makes a difference, but. Taking all of that into account, for me, with different test devices, the Fitbit has always performed best with regards to the algorithm. Somehow, no matter which Fitbit, they always perform well. And and I think where with, with other things like GPS or heart rate, it's really super sensor dependent. I think that's in combination with the algorithm, but the sensor is also really, really important. I think where sleep makes a difference is that the algorithm is so much more important than the sensor because um, when you take heart rate you have this ppg sensor on your wrist or so this green light and that reflects something and then you get this nice sort of um, sine wave like pattern from which you can deduct a heart rate relatively easily i would say yeah um, but if you have to calculate sleep stages this is not like something so easily measurable it's There's an algorithm behind it that should somehow say, if you move this much and this came before it, and this was the heart rate, then you're most likely in REM sleep, for instance. Um, And that's so much trickier to to make. It means that these companies should collect a whole bunch of reference data where they have both like a professional scientific sleep measurement and a device on somebody, and they then create an algorithm that can reliably predict um, this combination of measurements means this. Um, and there's, I think, also the more time and money companies spend on this, there's like a really big improvement. And it's a lot of it, I think, is based on reference data, um, like having both that scientific measurement combined with um, the sleep device or the, the 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 device that they're interested in. But that algorithm, algorithm will translate better from device to device than maybe some other um some other types of measurements, which is why Fitbit overall always seems to perform about as well. And which is why Garmin in general is mediocre, except for which I don't really understand one Garmin device that particularly well, which might have to do with whether it's computed on board or online. So whether the the watch calculates things or it's sent to a server and then it's...
0: Are you you talking about the uh, Venue 2?
1: So the Vivom Sport did particularly well. Oh, okay. I, I, I from Garmin, I, and this is one of the cheaper ones, mm-hmm. um, relatively cheap. And I think what I couldn't really find enough information about it, but what some people say they their reasoning is that. Some of the cheaper models, they don't compute everything on board. So on the watch, it is sent, it's first synced with the app, then sent to the server, then calculated back. Mm. Whereas some other more expensive watches have more computational power, but the algorithm is not exactly the same. So they do it all on board, yeah. but somehow that's less reliable. And, and this is speculative, but I've re- really seen consistently that the Vivo Sport was better than the most expensive uh, Epics 2, for instance. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think you're most right. Most other Garmin watches seem to perform about the same. <laughs>
0: I think you're right with that. I know um, about two years ago, I want to say, the Garmin 945, which is basically a Phoenix in a plastic case, they rolled out that new sleep mm-hmm. sleep al- algorithm that came along with the widget that you could actually see on the watch itself. You know, the little sleep widget that shows mm-hmm. duration of sleep, yeah. REM sleep, deep sleep. That all came to the 945. Then it rolled out to the Phoenix 6, and then they just started doing it moving forward on the Epics Phoenix 7 venue, blah, blah, blah but you're right before that it was all sent to the cloud they did all the data up there and behind the scenes in garmin connect and then it came back and i think what they use with the widget is actually um is it first beat analytics that that came up with the sleep yeah, yeah, yeah uh data and i think that's what's yeah, calculated yeah, that's, on board that's one
1: of the ones they use
0: yeah so that's pretty yeah, yeah, interesting
1: I think, um yeah they i think they bought first beat i think there's also i think uh a Huawei or there's another device I don't know about heart, that also use it because they had the license from before mm. um, but yeah that's really um, that's really interesting that and you, I
0: think that you find more accuracy with something that's uh, calculated on the cloud rather than on the device itself you would think the opposite right yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> well not necessarily i would so for i i can imagine that the cloud has more power uh, but i think in this case it's just a matter of the algorithm and I don't know if they actually tested it or if they just bought First Beat, for instance, and just thought, oh, these are more reliable, probably. So, like, I don't know who makes those decisions.
0: Yeah, yeah, me neither. (laughs) Um, Now, I'm (laughs) I'm curious if you've tested any devices during your stint on YouTube that, like, were super cheap and really surprised you. For instance, like, some of those uh, Xiaomi or Huawei products that are, like, B- below yeah, yeah, yeah. 100, below 100 bucks you can find a you know smart band for $59 have any of those been like remotely accurate or typically just something you throw in the bin for
1: sleep for sleep <laughs> no i think they generally use the same algorithms that are very like not transparent at all what's happening uh, behind the scenes so for sleep generally no um i think for sleep like my number one is fitbit but close to it whoop straps actually pretty good Um, and there's this Withing Sleep Analyzer which is not a a wearable but this thing you put under your mattress which is also so quite good and Aura is not super yet but there's this thing on the horizon that they're saying will be great and we'll, we'll have to find out in terms of cheap devices and sleep tracking none have been amazing I think for heart rate tracking there have been one or two devices that I've been surprised by that were better than uh, some of the more famous sports brands, but they were always in the more high-end section of those uh, sure. uh, watches. For from, from Huawei, for instance, I recently tested the Huawei GT Runner and Huawei Watch GT3, and these, after the Apple Watch, are the best heart rate trackers I've ever tested. Um, mm. So, like I, I quantify. I try to quantify based on sport uh, like by dividing it up into different sports that I did, um, and calculate just correlations over many, um, many, a- uh, sessions. And number one is Apple. But after that is the Huawei watch GT GT runner. So, um,
0: I always find it really objectively, interesting. I can say that. I-, I find it really interesting when I, I speak ahead. with, with other people that test these things that get like w- wildly different results than what I do, because like the Fitbit charge five, for instance, um, I did not get a good, the heart rate sensor on that was just not good for me. (laughs) Like even remotely close to to ECG level on a polar uh, chest strap or like a bicep uh, optical sensor. But then I see other reviews that are like, it's actually pretty good. So it's really, it, I think this is the important thing that we need to convey to the viewer is that we are a sample of one, right? And that, uh, you know, that what's good for me or, or you, uh, may not work well for for Des or Ray or any of these other people on YouTube. No. and so you should take all of our reviews in a bucket and then try to average out which what's good and what's bad, and then use that as a baseline for comparison. Because yeah, it, yeah. it's it's different. You know, your your body fat percentage, your hair density on your arm, your skin color, it, it all plays exactly. a role. And it's just wild to see yeah, to yeah. hear success stories from one product and then total failures in the other. Um, but yeah, it's insightful exactly. for me because ideally behind the scenes, all of us would talk and figure out what's good, but we don't do that because that would just bias everyone's reviews. So you got to do your work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I'm actually trying now to, I'm working with the, the Austrian rowing federation now uh, on a project and the, their junior team is now testing different watches for me. So I, I still have to organize this better, but then I can give them a bunch of watches. These of, of course, again, biased to, Caucasian males, but this is—I <laughs> mean, this is the best I can do for now. Um, but then I can at least test it on two or three different people. Um, but yeah, these will always be not the initial reviews because we're not also not always allowed to to share this. Sure. Um, but I hope to at least expand. Like, I'd rather spend any money I make of YouTube on on paying some other people to test these watches for me and to make the re- reviews a bit more reliable.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to look at it—is to pour it back in and and uh, see what what happens on the go, just jumping back to youtube curious for my own raw curiosity um do you have any long term goals with youtube like to take it into a full time gig or like it seems like you're pretty passionate with the 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 science background and and your day job so i know personally i struggle to balance my real job and youtube at the same time it's a it's a constant mm-hmm. battle for me Um, And I can only assume you're there too. So long-term, what what are you hoping to get out of YouTube? Where do you want to bring it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So for now, I don't plan to make it a full-time job. I think both societally and for my own learning, I think it's it's great to be surrounded by other scientists uh, and in general people who are motivated to do the things that they do, who I can learn from. Like I have certain aspects of things that I'm good at. Um, but I'm like, now that I switched, so I'm originally from the Netherlands and then two years ago, I moved here to Vienna to to a group that specializes in this this thing called epigenetics, so the folding of the DNA. Mm. And here I learned so much from them, both about data analysis, but also about, about biology. And I think I can contribute more to the world and also uh, learn a lot for myself still by, by staying in science for a while. And I think it also makes me a better reviewer by but by from them learning how to um, make the data more accessible, sharing it, making uh, maybe making the scripts rerunnable so that people can actually put their own data in there at some point. I don't know. So for now I'm not aiming to do that, but I do struggle. And I think the, maybe you found this as well, but the, the more you do this, the more you want to improve your videos, which means spending extra time on the edit, which means spending extra time on the script. So by now I've, I've, like when I calculated it, each video, that's like an in-depth review, which for me would be maybe between 14 and 18 minutes of, of video, it takes more than 25 hours to make from start to finish. Um, and especially the the data analysis and the script writing and the editing, those are so time consuming. And I mean, this is not, I I think I'm lucky in that sense where you have a family, right? You You have kids to take care of, you have a partner. Um, I don't have those things, so I have more freedom, um, but I do aim to, at some point, um, start a family perhaps, or at least, um, likely I'll get a partner again at some point. So my day job being maybe 45 to 50 hours per week, plus 25 hours on YouTube. This is, I mean, it feels a bit like you're grinding, but at some point it's not sustainable. I think I'm, I'm happy enough doing it, but I I also realize that at some point, So my, yeah, my aim is to not make it full time, but to grow it enough that I can hire an editor without worrying about money. Yeah. Um, I think in science we earn a decent living, but also like I don't have a huge expendable, I don't know, expendable income. (laughs) Is that the word in
0: English? You got it. You nailed it.
1: (laughs) Um, But with YouTube, I hope that I have enough money to buy the watches, to hire an editor and to get that part of and then at some point have enough money to buy multiple watches and have multiple people test them um and even i don't even need to be the face of the channel the only face of the channel i'd be happy if i can do the data analysis somebody else is also doing part of the video recordings it's not my aim to be famous Um, yeah but i do like growing this thing that is my own, I guess. I mean, we all have selfish reasons for doing these things, right? And I, uh, whatever the reason be, is it from your childhood or whatever, somehow <laughs> I feel like I want to build this thing that is truly my own. Like, of course, my research is my own, but it's it's always funded by an agency or funded by a professor or, and this really feels like this I built from scratch. And so yeah. there's the sel- that selfish reason as well.
0: Yeah, I love I love that story because I can, I can relate to so much of what you just said. <laughs> like, what you said about feeling like it's a grind, like an unsustainable grind, but you're doing it for yourself. So it feels like you're getting value back when you, the more effort you put in, the more you, it feels like you're getting back. And of course it's analytics. You're watching view count and subscribers yeah. and all that, but also just like, I like to go back and watch a an very early you know, video of mine that's total crap that I hope no one watches and then watch a recent one where I've poured a lot more effort and time into the edit and scripting. And it just feels like I'm still not great at it, but watching the progress is a really rewarding feeling. Um, and I think to your point. Can I
1: ask you, what is, what is your motivation? Like, why do you do it? Like you could just spend that time with your kids or golfing or like, why do you do this?
0: Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I think, um, yeah, like you said, selfish reasons would be, um, yeah, to grow uh, to your point, like something to something that's mine, a brand that I'm, that's my little baby that I, I am trying to grow into something and it's a, it's a weird niche. Uh, and I generally enjoy the creativity involved with making the videos, but I've also recognized that if the more creativity and effort I put into something, I don't always get that back and I could spread that out over more videos. So lately I've been trying to like not go so crazy and overboard and not do too much on one specific thing and try to, you know, be more realistic about my time management. Um, but yeah, I think it's just, yeah. Watching something grow and flourish. And, um, you know, the community is really fun. I, I got a discord server now and just, bouncing ideas off of people and talking to people that are actually watching the videos. I don't know, it's a rewarding feeling at the end of the day. And like you said, I don't even, the the reason why I didn't name my channel my name is because I don't want to be the face of my brand either. I'd be happy to have another person. And that was kind of at the beginning, I was like, oh, we could have like a a team and we could just make videos and different aspects of things. And it just never happened because it's so hard. I'm sure you run into this too, to find a someone that works well with you and be someone that is as passionate as you are about this specific very yeah, small yeah. thing that we do <laughs> like there's there's like ten people yeah, in yeah, the yeah. world that are into this sort of thing, and I'm talking to one of them right now, and he's on the other side of the world, so i it's a challenge, I'm sure you've run into that,
1: yeah yeah, 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 for sure, and it's it's difficult to realize sometimes why you're doing this and also to get a bit lost in the in the niche or in your own mind like in the end, it also doesn't matter too much for the rest of the world or for your own life. Like, say YouTube were to die as a platform tomorrow, my life is still good. And, and like, yeah, I, I don't know. As I've, maybe it's a weird thing, but as I've passed that 100,000 subscriber mark, which I don't know, tens or hundreds of thousands of people have done before me, somehow it also became less important to the metrics or so. And I started a bit reevaluating, like, why am I doing this? Because it seems like such a goal, but then you reach it. And I have this in general, like, I aim for a goal, I get it and then it's on to the next goal. And this has been my whole life and <laughs> now I actually realized like that 100,000 mark like in the end I just want to provide like I went back to the basic I was like I want to provide value and and do an add to the platform that helps people in a way mm. um to try and make it maybe a bit less number driven. But on the other hand you do need that number drivenness a bit to to make it a sustainable thing.
0: Yeah, and I also found like some validation in, you know, the small amount of money that we earn through YouTube, uh, was kind of a validating thing for me because I'm a mid 30 year old guy with kids and stuff to take out of my, time out of my day to put my face in front of a camera and do this silly thing. Um, the, the only way to make that make sense to people that watch that from the outside, even my, my wife is like, well, it's some. It's a little bit of an income. You know what I mean. Even though it's absolutely not about that, yeah, because yeah. it's it's not a big income. We're not getting rich. You know that, and I know that. Uh, but it's it's some way of saying, well, this is a way to spend my time because there is some potential for some some sort of income there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so so I was also wondering, getting back to the uh, to the wearable stuff. Yeah. If you were not doing YouTube, but you were just a consumer. What one or two devices would you actually be using daily? Like do you, at some point you must have sort of figured that out for yourself, right? Like if you didn't have to wear a different one every week for the testing, which one would be on your wrist?
0: Yeah, that's tough. Um I think lately I've got I've got a lot. I've got them all over here. But I think lately, even though it's it's weird because, like you said with Garmin, the sleep tracking is not the best. I know that it's kind of wonky. It gives me a, some sort of picture, I still gravitate towards the Garmin Fenix 6 and 7 or now the Epics because I like the display, but it's only because I prioritize the actual time trail running or hiking or, or whatever with the watch where the navigation and the mapping is amazing and the customization of the data pages is amazing and, you know, the setting up waypoints and uh, courses and stuff is just way easier than all of the other brands. Uh so that and then lately I've been loving the aura ring. I you know, I know it's not perfect, but the co- the combination of a Garmin and plus the aura ring, it's crazy expensive and I don't recommend anybody do it. Uh but yeah. the combination of like an epics in the aura ring does kind of cover both parts of your life. You know what I yeah. mean?
1: What about you? Yeah, what I think aura does really yeah, so so what I think aura does really well is give actionable advice to a way. So where I think a lot of these brands are still lacking is translating all the data that is collected into something that is understandable and actionable. Because if I tell my mom, yeah, you had 20% deep sleep, 20% 20% REM sleep and a bit too many, like this doesn't mean anything to her, right? Yeah, or your yeah. your heart rate variability was too low or your, whatever. Um, but if this app tells you, hey, last night we noticed that your heart rate kept dropping throughout the night and you never reached your lowest point, we that did you have a stressful evening or did you have a late meal? This really helps. And I think this is what Aura does well. And even though their sleep staging is not great, I think their heart rate and heart rate variability tracking is, Pretty much spot on during the night, um, and their advice based on that is pretty good. So I think for for health tracking, Aura is my favorite, but it lacks any types of sport tracking at the moment. There should be some update soon, but we'll see. I don't know; they keep postponing it, so we'll see how that works out.
0: I think they said um, they, they I think, said sometime in June for that, right? For the up uh, the firmware update.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, they said originally it would be end of last year, so we have to see. I think Aura is a pretty like. They're pretty great at what they do, but I think until we get those updates, the Aura Ring version 2 is still as good as the Aura Ring version 3. Like, it's really... The hardware has improved on the 3, but none of the software reflects that yet, so... um, And I don't like the subscription model, but that's a different fact. Overall, I think the Aura Ring is, is one of the best for health tracking. I just think why did they have to make a subscription model? So yeah, for anyone who doesn't, that doesn't know, you need to pay $6 per month. I think in America it's $6, right? I to... think it's
0: I think it's crazy to ask for like three or $400 for something and then expect a $6 a month subscription after the fact. Yeah. That's really my major complaint with it. I, I like that they give it to you for free exactly. for six months, and but the, that six-month thing, you know it's going to get people hooked and then they're going to end up paying it. I just don't like it. It feels slimy, the whole... Yeah. The whole subscription process. But um, to exact. your point, though. And the, also, like, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: Also, rule wise, I think they're in a bit of a murky situation because if they collect data in Europe, we have the GDPR, which is this data protection thing where they sh- you should have access to all your own data. I think they just make it less convenient to access it. Mm. Um, but But if I were to have to choose one device, like one device only, then I think I choose the whoop strap because it does everything pretty good. It has pretty good sleep tracking, pretty good heart rate tracking. It has some actionable insights. Um, but if I can choose multiple devices, I think I would, for instance, wear a chest strap during sports. I would wear an Apple watch if I couldn't wear a chest strap because it has the best heart rate tracking. And it's, a de- it's the best smartwatch, in my opinion, and the best heart rate tracker on your wrist. Um so it really depends on how many things I'm allowed to wear. Uh, because I think whoop strap is like, if I can just do one is the whoop strap, but of course that's also a subscription model, which is even I worse, even Somehow, worse than Aura. Yeah. But at least you pay nothing up front. but in the end at the bottom line, after three years, I think they're about at the same price.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I mean, 30 bucks a month for the whoop is, I don't know. I'd rather pay 400 up front and two dollars a month Then <laughs> thirty dollars yeah, yeah. but i think
1: if you do the, the the monthly it's like 18 or so i think it like if you do a two-year subscription it's like 18 dollars $18 per month or something yeah. so i think yeah. it does like they do incentivize you to but yeah it's i think it's the new thing um to do this i don't like it for wearables i understand it for for computer products like adobe that where they in order to keep getting updates it sort of makes some sense
0: but I'm not a fan of the subscription model, but it is what it is. I'm I'm curious if you just to kind of piggyback on all this conversation. Have you ever gotten to a point? Probably not because of your background, but do you ever feel like we're we're doing too we're making this too complicated by tracking every little detail of our lives, our our sleep, our body battery, our whoop level, our readiness score, your your all this stuff, right? Your resting yeah, heart yeah, rate, yeah, yeah. your HRV. At the end of the day, have you ever just thought maybe I should wake up and feel what I feel like and take it from there, or do you do you like the validation you get? I mean, from
1: that's it? a very good question. <laughs> um, I mean, this is a very very good question, and I think you can take it too far, and I think it also depends on your personality. Mm. So me. I will I will not just rely on that metric. I will combine it. I think there's things you can feel and I think there's things you cannot feel. Like things you won't be aware of until the end of the day when you're like, "Ooh, maybe I wasn't as energetic as I thought in the morning or whatever." Like and then I think these wearables can help you decide how much how active i going to be today. Um I've talked to some some Olympic rowers um and they said they couldn't they often couldn't feel in the morning if they were going to do a PR that day. Mm-hmm. Um they just weren't aware, and I think with technology we can we can get there. We can get give them a better understanding in, in of how fit they are likely to be that day. But they should, of course, combine it with their with their feeling. But I think there are things that people can't feel, um, and I think there's even been some psychological research that even, for instance, emotions. Not everybody can feel their emotions as well or is aware of their emotions as much. Um, and I think the same goes for for your energy levels and. Um, so I think it helps, but it's always a combination of the two. And I think there are people who are really sensitive to this, um, who should be aware. Like I've heard stories of people who, for instance, they need to get 10,000 steps each day. Like yeah. their watch told them your step <laughs> goal is 10,000 steps. And they get, they get frustrated if one day they don't get it. And that's why they don't sleep well. And then, then you're going too far. Like it's a, it's a general goal and nothing will happen. Nothing bad in the world will happen if one time. You skip the ten thousand steps, and also, I mean, this whole myth of ten thousand steps—that's a different story. It was just a, a <laughs> Japanese inventor who who came up with that because it sounded nice in the in the sixties or seventies. But uh, yeah,
0: that's it's a it's a tricky area to walk, I think, because in some ways, I do find value in my readiness score, for instance. But at the on the other side, I think there are people out there who may wake up feeling great. And then open their Aura app and be like, "Oh crap! I feel bad now because I'm supposed to be on high alert because my sleep was bad." And and then it ruins your whole day. You're like, "You know what? I'm not going to go for my run today because my readiness scores low, even though they woke up feeling fine." And I think it's it's a tricky thing to balance. You want to make yeah, sure yeah. you're getting it's supposed to be positive in some way and not holding you back. So I think that's important for people to know. You know, for sure. And I have a
1: colleague, and he. He, for instance, he has only the Oura Ring as a tracker and he uses it religiously to, to plan his workouts. He's a super uh, fit guy, um, but he also doesn't get overly worried about these things. But he does use that information that if he can, like if in the morning he feels fine, but the Oura Ring says, hey, maybe do a, a not too heavy workout today. He will just go for a long walk instead of a run. And then the next day he will do do a run and he doesn't get stressed about it, but it does help him plan his day, and he is really able to optimize his readiness score and This is a way for him to to plan his days and 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 stay relatively healthy and alert and It's just a tool for him um and in that sense, it works, but if you get overly worried or if if the ordering makes you feel bad, then I think it's it's a problem it should be a tool, right like no right. tool should make you feel feel bad,
0: yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's tough, tough uh, walk to walk, tough line to walk. Um, I'm also curious. There's something I I ask a lot of uh, people I know on YouTube. I ask Ray this. I asked uh, Matt Legrand. Um, When it comes to, I I hate to keep harping on the YouTube train, but this has to do with our health too. When it comes to YouTube and mm -hmm. testing things and and making the content, doing the work doing GPS tracks and all that, would you say that your channel has, improved your overall wellness mental fitness and all of that or has been a down something that's actually taking a negative effect on your overall health mentally uh, physically mm. everything yeah, yeah yeah that's also a good question
1: i don't know if anybody's interested in this but
0: uh I, i'm so interested in this overall, is us talking so we're gonna have to yeah. talk about it
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> so overall i think it's helped uh, and specifically because I moved to Vienna um in February twenty twenty, which is one month before the first COVID lockdown. I just broken up with my long-term girlfriend. Oh no. Um I just moved to a new city. So life was already like it was exciting to move somewhere new and then you make a few new friends and then one month later, bum, you have to stay at <laughs> home. You cannot do anything. So honestly, I was only making like I I made the YouTube channel name maybe a year before I actually really started making videos. I'd maybe made three videos in a year and a half before I moved here and and I didn't become consistent until COVID and it really, for me, it was a way to always have something to do to even like I was, (laughs) I had a, a room when I came here for the first six months, which was about, I don't know your, your, your measurement system, but it was about, I think three by four meters, which is. It's like um, Um, 9 by 12. Like like 10 by 10 or something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So pretty small. uh, And I had to stay in there the most of the day because you were not allowed to go outside except for taking a short stroll. Um, So this YouTube thing, in that sense, really helped me to have purpose beside my work and not just be doing work the whole day, but have something that was mine, something I could grow, something I could be proud of. So in that sense, I think it helped. I think now I'm coming to the point where i need to re reimagine that balance between life work and youtube because work for me is a more than 40 hour job youtube for me is a more than 20 hour job so combined these things are are 70 hours at least per week and that's it's 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 a lot and i cannot imagine what it's like for you <laughs> on top of that having a family and kids like having a partner i like for a while here i had i dated someone and there, I could keep the balance, but I wasn't at the point where I spent, I, I maybe had, f- each video was maybe five hours of less work than it is now because it it becomes more overtime. Um So, but then I could still somewhat balance it, but still most of the time I spent with my, with the partner at the time was spent her doing her things, me doing my things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and now that, yeah, at some point now I feel like it should be the balance to personal life should be, a bit bigger. And, and one way to solve that is by hiring an editor or something, which I cannot really afford fully now. So I, that's a balance. And I, I don't know how you experience this because for you it's harder, right?
0: You have a family. I don't know. How do you do it? Uh, I work at night a lot and, uh, very early in the morning. <laughs> so it's, it's, I, I But that like in it. the
1: end impacts your sleep, right?
0: Oh, big time. Yeah. I, I would say generally right now, I'll be totally honest. YouTube is probably not healthy for me, <laughs> because of just the level of hours i'm putting in um you know between my mechanical engineering job and and that it's like you said i'm probably in the 60 70 hours a week territory ter- territory myself but then there's like you know emails that you're getting from uh you know from from brands maybe that are trying to maybe it's a, a new o-ring coming out or something and then you have to go back and forth with them so it it turns into like I feel like I work all day. It's like an email popping up on my phone or a message, um, from you, you know, setting up a podcast or something. There's always, there's always something going on that's revolving, you know, answering comments even can take up a a couple hours per day. Um, so it's, it's a lot. Uh, and I think like you, I need to find a better way to manage my time as well. And I, I honestly think we're in a very similar boat in terms of, um, like you said, hiring an editor, trying to just find a better way to manage time because it's not a full time job, right? But we still want to keep doing it. Yeah. So it's just a balancing. I guide. mean, the
1: the, the the tricky thing is it, the you, the the algorithm, or at least everything, motivates you to do more uh, somehow because even in so. For those of you who don't make YouTube videos, there's this YouTube studio app that you see where you can upload everything. And it even tells you, oh, you uploaded fewer videos this month um, <laughs> and you got fewer views. And then like, it tries to motivate you to do more. Or if you do one or two videos more, it's, says, hey, you got more views this month. It's likely because you uploaded more videos. So it's really like there's this drive behind it and there's these sort of horror stories online of people who had a family member die, took two months off, came back and got like, a like a 10% of the views they got before, even though they didn't change anything. It's just the algorithm decided, Hey, their, their subscribers didn't watch their videos anymore. So we're not going to recommend it anymore. Like you're fully dependent on this thing. You have no control over.
0: Yeah. I almost hate reading that stuff in the studio. Like even the, um, you know, the one through 10 most recent videos, it tells you for the listener who doesn't know, there's a little thing that shows when you upload a video, how that video is Doing compared to your last 10 videos. So it'll tell you well compared to your last 10 you you're This one's a number five or or it's a number one and then little fireworks go off and you get really excited about that yeah. But when it's a number five or or even worse when it's number 10 and it's way underperforming It is a mental drain when you've just dumped 30 hours of your life into that particular thing so uh, it's a it's a struggle for sure, but I'm sure everybody goes through this and then you eventually learn the ebbs and flows. And I even asked Ray, uh, Ray maker uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in an Instagram DM. I was like, listen, man, I'm feeling a little bit burnt out. Like, what do you, what, how do you handle this after he's been doing it for so long? He just said in like yeah. one, he said in like one sentence, do less. <laughs> <And> I, think, <laughs> I think I feel like we need to take that to heart a little bit uh, more, but yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I won't harp on the YouTube train too much. It's just, you know, it's something that I, I always like to talk about because, a, I do think people are interested in in your personal life because we only share our our persona on YouTube of testing these things and you know what it's like yeah. to use the thing. When there is a percentage of people who watch you that are like, I wonder what Rob does in his free time. You know what I mean? And and this is yeah, your, yeah. this is your opportunity to share that. And on that note, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what I mean, do you, what do you do in, in your general, free time, they, role? They,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, there, I guess there's been different phases in my life where I did different things. Um, so now YouTube takes up a lot of time, but I, yeah. for instance, I've collected records for about ten years now. Oh wow! Like vinyl records, they are always in the back of my videos. You can't see it here on this uh, in this view, um, but on my normal YouTube view, you can see them in the background somewhere though I've decided to collect less and just play them every once in a while because I already got a, I don't know, a couple of hundred. So at some point it's like, how much stuff do you actually need? Yeah. <laughs> um, but mostly 70s music. Um, before COVID and, and uh, before I did YouTube, so extensively I used to travel quite a bit. There was a, a phase in my PhD where every second or th- third weekend I would just travel to a random city in Europe. Oh, it wow. quite easy to go to a different country. Uh, like going abroad is much easier in Europe than it is in the States or or Canada or anywhere. Um, yeah, in most most uh, um, parts of the world are not as densely populated with countries as we have here. I used to travel a lot by myself, go to hostels, and just stay somewhere cheap. Oops, <laughs> stay somewhere cheap and um, just meet new people. And I I think that's something that I've always enjoyed and for many years was quite good at it. Just going by myself somewhere, just meeting random people, having some fun days, some fun evenings, and then going back. And I think I, I don't have a big, um, I don't, I'm not scared of social things. I'm very scared of like roller coasters and that kind of <laughs> stuff, but having to go on stage at a, at a party or something and just being crazy, I don't have any problems with.
0: So, so you're, you're an outgoing guy. You're not an introvert.
1: No, no, no. I think I used to be as a kid, or maybe I wasn't by nature, maybe, per se. But I, I think as a in high school, I was always a, I don't know, we call it a gray mouse in Dutch. I don't know what you would...
0: Yeah, I think it's like, a similar term. Like as somebody who doesn't stand out. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Nobody really knew. Like, I always got the best grades and stuff. I was just focused on school. Uh, it's quite funny, my mom even... So I'm from the Netherlands... My parents don't care about, like, they care that I'm happy. They don't really care about education. As long as I'm happy, they don't really care if I perform. Just as long as I'm happy, I have a stable income. It doesn't matter if I sweep the gutters or if I'm a heart surgeon. <laughs> they, they don't really care as long as I'm happy. Yeah. And they really don't think this YouTube thing, for, like, they think it's a bit too much. But I remember I was always studying a lot. Somehow intrinsically, there was something I did. My parents don't have really a high education or anything, but it was just what I did. And one time my mom came, came to my room and she said, just go smoke some weed. Like in the (laughs) Netherlands is legal. And my, my parents, my parents don't drink. My parents don't smoke. They don't do anything, but they were just like, just relax, Rob. Just like, don't be, don't. So I think as a kid, I was always very, even in, 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 uh, university, I was always trying to get the best grades and I don't even know why I did that. Like, this was just, I don't know. I guess I've always been also sort of competitive and that's some part of myself I've been trying to get rid of because I don't like like that side. Mm. So I I think I've not been competitive for for the last 10 years maybe or so, but at some point I made a conscious decision to try and get rid of that part in a way because there's no, it just stresses you out. And even if you achieve, you don't win in a way, you know? I I don't know how else to phrase it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, what's interesting is I feel like a lot of people I've met through YouTube are typically introverted. Like even myself, I'm not outgoing. I'm not somebody who will just go and chat with people. So like I, you know, standing in front of a camera is a lot easier for me than it is to talk to somebody face to face virtually like this. It's fine. But, uh, you know, when I'm in a work meeting in a big conference room and I'm hosting the meeting with a PowerPoint presentation, super uncomfortable in that capacity. But, uh, On camera alone, I'm fine. So it's interesting to hear that you're pretty outgoing compared to a lot of people that I've... But I think you got into YouTube in a different sense from your background, being passionate in what you're doing and just needing to provide more information out there compared to what was there. Yeah. yeah. So pretty interesting.
1: When you were... And uh, and it's also something that grew over time, right? Like I wasn't... Like I said, in high school, I was less extroverted, but I don't know what is the nature, what is the nurture part of this. So it's difficult to... To say. Yeah.
0: So um, are are you or were you before, uh, like, in any sports or, like, active in, in that kind of capacity, like running or anything?
1: Yeah, yeah. So so as a kid, I was... So when I was really young, I played soccer, like everybody in the every boy in the Netherlands
0: <laughs> is typically yeah.
1: put on soccer. Yeah. Uh, but then um, I only started taking sports seriously around... 18 19 when I started university um, and that actually for many for the first four or five years I was just doing weightlifting. Um, so I wasn't doing any cardio at all I was spending seven eight hours a week in the gym just lifting weights um, I think mostly because I'm a skinny person by <laughs> by design I think you you probably also have a bit of that physique where you're more easily skinny than than broad yeah um, so I just wanted to get some meat on my bones without becoming fat so that's why I, I did it and then I tend to, when I do something, I tend to do it very obsessively. And I think seeing your YouTube stuff, you probably have some of that as well from your running and stuff. Like (laughs) once you decide to do something for yourself, you do it well. So I had the same with, with weightlifting. Um, But actually for me, and I'm actually working on a more personal video at the moment where I also explain this, um, I actually got uh, chronic pain at some point. Um, so I was working at, uh, so I got this, this internship at an Institute of Harvard and Harvard and MIT. And I felt like, oh, I'm in the States now people work hard. So I need to work hard. So I started like my life at that moment was work, go to the gym, go to sleep, work, go to the gym, go to sleep, work, cook for three days, go to sleep, go to like, it was <laughs> just like not doing nothing else except working out, eating and working. At some point, my arms started hurting, my hands started hurting, my knees started hurting. And I I think it was a, a trigger. In, in, in my family, there tends to be a bit of like rheumatic type disease. So I think it was just a trigger of stress releasing that um, in that moment. Hmm. And then I really, at some point, I needed to reevaluate what I did because I couldn't work anymore. I was doing like I was writing my papers with speech recognition because I could only type for a few hours per day, wow. uh, and I couldn't do the weightlifting anymore. And that's when I discovered cardio exercises. So uh, somehow they, in a way, they saved me in the sense that every morning now before work, I I do uh, half an hour to forty-five minutes on the home trainer, the the tucks. I don't know how you pronounce it in uh, yeah, ta- uh, ta- in American ta- tactics. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. i think it's a dutch brand actually but yeah so i started working out on the tux every morning before uh before work and that's how i got into cardio because it proved to to really help with the the pain and now i'm for the last eight years almost pain-free by having a standing desk and doing cardio um every morning so that's how i actually got into cardio started doing more of that stuff but before it was pure weightlifting, i was a bit broader than than I am now, but I'm much healthier now. I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we all went through the weightlifting phase. I, I, I did too. And I was when I was uh, like 20, maybe I weighed 205 pounds, <laughs> which I'm five foot seven. <laughs> I'm five foot seven, so do the math there. And I guess I can't do that. I can't do the conversion there for metric. But I'm a short person, and so I was pretty. I was like a meathead, you know, with the big, big muscles and. My shirts were all tight and everything. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I, feel, yeah. I definitely feel healthier now than I did then, and I'm 17 years older than I was then. So it says something about that lifestyle. But did you do any cardio as well then, or no. did you just do weights? No, I was the guy scooping protein. You know, scooping protein out of the powder thing, and and then going and doing my dips and uh, pull ups and yeah. No, I did no cardio at all. <laughs> Wasn't healthy do you owner. know
1: why you did it? Was it was it to to make yourself feel more attractive, more valued, or or was it just an obsession with no reason? Or
0: that's a very simple question. To impress girls. Let me say that louder. To impress girls. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but then I got married. I think that's why a lot of us do it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh uh, man. Um Rob, I feel like I could talk to you for, for hours, but we just hit an hour on the clock here, so I'm probably gonna wrap it up um, even though this is super interesting I feel like I feel like I need to have you back on the podcast because there's a lot more to cover in these topics but I do uh, I want to thank sure. you for joining me today and for for the listener out there I'm gonna I'll put an intro segment in here about your YouTube channel because I feel like I briefly mm-hmm. covered it uh, check out Rob's channel the Quantified scientist on YouTube check out his website at let's see what is it what's your website
1: www.yeahrobterhorst.com robterhorst rob <laughs> so my, my name
0: robterhorst and
1: then check Charon him Horst. yeah Char- i don't know how to pronounce it in english
0: <laughs> and then check him out on instagram at the quantified scientist uh, rob thank you so much for joining me today i hope you hope you enjoyed this quick little blurb with me and that you'll come back and talk to me again for
1: sure i was happy to learn more about you i really think it's cool for i think there should be more meetups between like all of us that make these types of videos Don't let it rule you. Everything's gonna be alright.